0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is part seven of a nine-part series. This is the morning service of Sunday the 15th of November 2015, entitled The Dead in Christ. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Here's Brother Gareth Green. Well, um, as some of you may remember, um, I've been preaching through uh, the book of First Thessalonians um, over a... It's been quite a while now since we started, um, but this, this sermon is a continuation of that series. Uh, this morning, we are going to be looking into the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4, and verse 13 to 18. Um, and this sermon is going to be roughly 35 minutes, so let's dive straight in. Let's read 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive, and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Heavenly Father, uh, we just pray now that you would uh, bless your word to our understanding, uh, bless your word to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you would um, yeah, just speak to us and uh, bring things to light that perhaps we haven't seen before. Uh, help us Lord, to uh, know you better and to, to love you more deeply. Uh, through this uh, study of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this uh, relatively short passage tells us about the rapture of the church. Uh, so what is the rapture? The word that we use, rapture, comes from the term caught up that we see in verse 17. Uh, the Latin translation of this verse uses the word raptura. Uh, And the Greek word that it translates is harpazo, which means to snatch or to take away. So when we talk about the rapture, we are talking about Christ snatching us up and taking us away. Paul's purpose in giving us uh, this information can be seen in verse 13. Paul's desire is that these fellow Christians would not be ignorant about what has happened to those Christians that had already died. And secondly, he doesn't want them to have the same sorrow that unbelievers would have in the same situation. We also find another purpose for Paul sharing this information in verse 18. He instructs the Thessalonians to comfort one another with these words. So Paul's three purposes were to remove ignorance, remove sorrow, and implant comfort. And therefore the aim of this sermon is to inform and to comfort us. Paul's purpose here also fits very well with the overall uh, purpose of the letter, which we can see in chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3. Just as Timothy had been sent to comfort and establish them in their faith, this follow-up letter was sent in response to Timothy's report to comfort and establish them. Now, it is clear that they already had some teaching on this topic. Uh, We know that because uh, in order for them to have questions about this event, they must have already had teaching about this event. Um, specifically how this event would impact those that had already died. We also know from chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, that they understand that Christ's return is imminent. So this was a very new church. They were being persecuted, and many of them were confused about the rapture. The founder of the church, Paul, had been suddenly run out of town which no doubt shook up the church leadership. And even though this was a very new church, perhaps less than six months old, some new Christians had already died. Verse 13 tells us that they were mourning over the dead as if they had no hope. They knew that Christ uh, could come at any moment and they were concerned about how their dead loved ones would fit into the rapture. And this is where we find ourselves in God's Word this morning, looking at a group of young believers who are looking for information about the rapture. And that is exactly what Paul gives to them. Now, before we go on uh, to look at exactly what the teaching is here on the rapture, I want to give you a very quick whistle-stop tour on eschatology, or the study of end times. So here we have a, a quick little chart. So, A here is obviously the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, B is the church age, uh, which is the point that we are at now. Uh, C is the rapture of the church. And obviously uh, the blue arrow going down is Jesus and the green arrow is us going up. Uh, Christ meets us in the air. Uh, And so the rapture is also what kickstarts D. Uh, D is the tribulation period, which lasts for seven years. E is the second coming of Christ to the earth, also known as the day of the Lord. At this point, the devil is bound and thrown into the bottomless pit. Uh, F is the millennial period. Uh, This is Christ's reign on earth for a thousand years. Uh, G, uh, this is where the devil and his angels and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And finally, eternity. Those who put their faith in Christ spend eternity in heaven, in the presence of God, and those who reject God spend eternity in the lake of fire, experiencing God's wrath for sin. And for those of you who don't know, uh, where this church stands on the teaching of eschatology, uh, we're what you might call premillennial pre-tribulational, which uh, can be shortened to premil pre-trib. Uh, that basically means that we believe that we are at point B on this diagram. So we believe that we are currently living before the tribulation period and before the millennial period. Uh, and obviously some people believe differently. They believe the rapture might happen after or during the tribulation period. Uh, there are also what we call amillennials or postmillennials. And uh, I have brothers and sisters in Christ that I believe that I'll be spending eternity with that believe differently. Uh, But obviously we don't have time to go into all of those details right now. It's just to help you understand where we are on the timeline. So we are in the church age looking forward to the rapture. So let's uh, return to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 uh, and verse 13. Uh, Now remember, uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to a group of very young believers Uh, who have seen some of their Christian brothers and sisters die, and they're looking for uh, information about the rapture. So how do living and dead Christians fit into this plan? Paul now proceeds to give them more detailed information about the rapture. Uh, So the passage that we're looking at today is one of three key passages on this event. Uh, John chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, where we are now. And each of the time that these teachings uh, come on this subject, it was in response to distress. In John chapter 14, the disciples were confused and distressed because Jesus was leaving. And so in the middle of their distress, Jesus says, Let me comfort you. I'm coming back." In 1 Corinthians 15, some were denying the rapture and making the Corinthian Christians confused. So Paul writes about the rapture to comfort them in their confusion. And finally here, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Thessalonians are distressed because of their lack of information. In each case, There is distress and confusion. So the Holy Spirit responds by giving comforting truth. In all three cases, this teaching comes primarily as a source of comfort, as a pastoral message, rather than a theological lecture. This teaching, in fact, is almost reserved as a point of comfort, a special pastoral message from the Holy Spirit. To comfort troubled believers about their future. And so the rapture is a source of comfort. So, with that in mind, let's dig into the scriptures. Uh, Let's reread verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope." So Paul here is showing concern that the Christians at Thessalonica are sorrowing like unbelievers. And now obviously grief is a part of life. And indeed, the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep. But Paul's words in verse 13 suggest that there is a difference between the grief we should show over the death of a Christian and the death of a non-believer. Non-believers sorrow greatly over death because they have no hope of a better life after this. But Christ's substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead give us the concrete foundation for for our assurance in life after death. Christ's death affects every aspect of our lives. It affects how we speak, uh, where we work, our priorities, how we vote, and as we see here, how we mourn. Christ's death gives us comfort. Paul also tells us that this sorrow is due to ignorance. So what exactly are the Thessalonians ignorant of? Turn with me to chapter five, verse one and two. 1 Thessalonians chapter five and verse one and two. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So here we see that the Thessalonians were not ignorant about the day of the Lord the day of the Lord meaning the second coming of Christ. We can tell by what Paul goes on to say in chapter four, that the Thessalonians were ignorant of, or had incomplete information about the rapture. If we look at verse 15, we can find more information about why they had sorrow. Paul seems to be comforting them that dead Christian friends and family would in fact be raptured. Let's read verse 15. So that's chapter four, verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So here we see Paul comforts them that the rapture is also for the dead, not just the living. They knew their friends were saved and, be w- and would be with Christ in eternity, but they thought that they would miss this one amazing event, which is the rapture. And so I'm gonna give you the three Ps of the rapture. So the foundation of the rapture, the people of the rapture, and the plan of the rapture. If you spell foundation with a PH instead of an F, And you get three P's. (laughs) So, if you will, the foundation of the rapture, (laughs) the people of the rapture, and the plan of the rapture. So the first P, the foundation of the rapture. As said earlier, the foundation of all of our hope and the rapture lies in the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of our sins, we need forgiveness. And our sin is basically God saying to go this way. But we say no, and we go this way. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve upon himself. And the only way that we can receive forgiveness from our sins is by repenting of our wrongdoings and living God's way. By putting our faith and trust in Him and His death and resurrection, we can be forgiven of our sins. Now, verse 14 tells us how the gospel impacts this teaching of the rapture. Let's read verse 14, chapter four and verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So we can see that because Jesus died and rose again, it's logical that Christians that died, Christ will also rise again in the rapture. They are in union with him while they sleep and will be in union with Christ at the rapture. So, the second P, the people of the rapture. Now that Paul has reminded the Thessalonians of the foundation of the rapture, which is the gospel, he goes on to tell them about the people who are going to be participating in the rapture. Let's read verse 15 again. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep." So the rapture is for those that are still alive when Christ comes, and also for those who have died before Christ comes. In verse 16, Paul also tells us something interesting about the timings of the rapture. Let's read verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So further to telling the Thessalonians that their dead loved ones will indeed be a part of the rapture, he also tells them that those that are dead will in fact rise first. Now, why this is exactly, I don't know. Um, I've heard people say that it's because If they are buried, then they have an extra six feet to go to catch up with everyone that's alive. Um, But obviously that's just said in jest. And so the rapture is only for Christians, dead or alive. And so if you are not a Christian here today, I would like to challenge you to consider what Christ has done for you. Consider where you stand before God as a sinner. And consider what Christ is offering you through the cross. Forgiveness and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you receive that through repentance of sins and faith in Jesus Christ. And so the third P, the plan of the rapture. We've had the foundation, the gospel, the people, Christians, and now the plan. Paul goes on in verse 16 and 17 to explain in detail this joyful event that so many are looking forward to. Let's reread verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, we know that this uh, event is extremely important because the Lord himself will be descending from heaven. Not someone upon his behalf, but Christ himself. This is clearly something not to be missed, but he won't simply arrive quietly and unannounced. We are told that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven the a shout. Have you ever imagined what it's like to hear God speak? Have you ever wondered what it's like to hear God shout? Imagine the sound of thunder. Imagine the sound of a volcano erupting. Imagine the sound of Niagara Falls or every instrument in an orchestra playing the loudest note it possibly can. Imagine the sound of an earthquake. Imagine hearing a whale bellowing or a lion roaring. All of these pale in comparison to the sound of the Lord shouting. And not only that, but we are told that this will be accompanied by the sound of the archangel. Imagine a choir of young children, perfectly tuned and in sync. Imagine a group of people who had given their whole lives to the craft of singing, using every ounce of their concentration and passion to serenade their audience. Or imagine a symphony hall full of the saints of God singing, who had been praying for the salvation of their friends and family for years, and they've just witnessed a revival. Again, these are no comparisons to the pure, Holy voices of angels that have been untainted by sin. We also know from verse 16 that these voices will not be singing without the accompaniment of music. The instrument that will be used to announce the rapture of the church is the trump of God. Um, On the battlefield, trumpets were used to announce different things to an army telling them to make themselves ready for battle or to move to a particular location. When we hear this trumpet, there'll be no uncertainty about what we are hearing or what is about to happen. And because this is something that has never happened before, I think this will be a trumpet that has never been blown before. And this tapestry of music will make such a holy, frightening, glorious, and joyful sound that no one would have heard anything like it before. Let's look at the end of verse 16. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Uh, Can you imagine what a sight that will be? Upon hearing such an unbelievable sound, you look up and everywhere around you on the horizon you see the resurrected bodies of fellow Christians that you're going to be spending eternity with, rising up to the clouds to meet Jesus face to face. Now, we know from the rapture account in 1 Corinthians 15 that in that moment we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's quicker than a blink. Now, what will we be changed into? Well. We can't spend eternity with Jesus in these sin-cursed bodies, can we? Corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Imagine that. No more sin-cursed flesh, no more pain. Holy. Uh, Let's read verse 17. Then, We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so once we hear this unimaginable tapestry of song and music and look around to see our dead brothers and sisters rising to meet Jesus, we will then look down at ourselves and find new bodies freed from the curse of sin. And then, as we see in verse 17, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly? Well, we will fly. We will be caught up by Jesus. And not only will we meet our fellow believers again in the air, those that you've lost in your own lifetime, those believers who have died fighting in World War I and World War II and conflict since then and before then, those believers who you've read about that lived inspiring lives of faith, not only will we see all of these people But the best part of all, we will meet with the Lord Jesus face to face. And the best part about it, in our new resurrected bodies, we will be able to look upon him in all of his glory and majesty unveiled. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I hope you feel encouraged by this message as I'm sure the Thessalonians were. Now, remember, as we saw earlier, that each time the rapture is spoken about in the Bible, it was in response to distress and confusion. The Holy Spirit puts a stop to this distress. In all three cases, it is spoken of in Scripture, it comes primarily as a pastoral message, a message of peace and comfort. This teaching is used by the Holy Spirit to comfort troubled believers about their future. The rapture is a source of comfort for you. In the final verse of this passage, the Thessalonians are given an instruction. Let's read verse 18, on Thessalonians chapter four, verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul instructs them to comfort one another with these words. You can comfort one another when you say goodbye. It's never goodbye, it's see you later. You can comfort one another when fellow believers have life-threatening illnesses. That illness will not stop you from being a part of the rapture. You can comfort one another when fellow believers have pain in their bodies or lose their sight or lose limbs. We will have new bodies one day. You can comfort one another when believers lose a fellow Christian or when you lose a fellow Christian. They are only asleep. You will see them again. Comfort one another by reminding each other of the foundation, the gospel, the people, Christians, and the plan of the rapture. Um, I'm not sure if you've noticed in verse 13 and also throughout the New Testament, scripture speaks about Christians sleeping, not dying. They truly go into undisturbed rest waiting for the glorious rapture. We serve a gracious Lord, and it would be an extravagant display of mercy and grace for him to simply allow us to cease to exist when we die, rather than go to face his wrath in hell. But God does even more than that. He gives us his righteousness so that we can spend eternity in the presence of God in complete uninterrupted union and peace with Christ, drinking from the unending fountain of his love. So in order to eliminate the overwhelming grief of these Thessalonians, Paul tells them about this great event. And so to finish, uh, I'd just like to reread this passage again. One Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13 to 18. "But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. And may you feel encouraged and comforted by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you, Lord, that um, even if we die before you come back, you um, have allowed us to uh, still be a part of this glorious event, the rapture. Thank you, Lord, for the comfort and encouragement that your word brings to us. And thank you, Lord, for um, speaking into our lives and uh, showing us this glorious plan. And Lord God, I pray that uh, you'd help us to encourage and comfort one another with these words when uh, bad things happen in, life, in our lives or uh, when death comes. Uh, Lord God, thank you that uh, we will see all of our lost uh, Christian loved ones and uh, we will get to meet with all those that have gone before us. But most of all, Lord, thank you that we will be able to see you face to face one day. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to meditate upon this, help us to uh, remember that your return is imminent, and help us, Lord, to um, yeah remember this as a source of joy, uh, but also a source of um, urgency to, <coughs> to let others know about your return. Help us, Lord, to share the gospel. I pray, Lord, that the gospel would be applied to our lives and that uh, people would see it lived out, Lord. Thank you that you're... Your gospel affects every aspect of our lives. And I just pray that you be with us now as we um, continue to worship you and sing your praises. In Jesus' name, amen.